Well, I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, don't hesitate to use the table of context, contents. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But uh, before we read our passage, I want to say a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had uh, some quality time with us family or friends. Um, maybe you're able to get some rest. That's what I was doing after recently getting back from India. I, uh, my time, I'm just now, I think, getting back to normal. Uh, jet lag hit me pretty hard, so I took full advantage of the rest portion of Thanksgiving Day and, and the eating portion as well. But eating led to resting, and that was really good. Uh, but on Thanksgiving, too, there's a number of a good opportunity for quality conversations with family or friends. And uh, in hanging with my dad and, and brother and grandparents were around, uh, we were talking about some of our old crazy dogs that we had in our family. And there was one dog in particular, the first dog that I ever had growing up that my family had was an Australian Shepherd. Has anyone ever had experience with an Australian Shepherd? A few of us, yes. So there's something you should know if you don't. There's a reason they call it a shepherd, because it's, it's bred to, uh, to look after sheep. It's a sheep dog, and that's what it did for us, for the kids. This, the, our, our dog was crazy. It was constantly barking at anyone who came close to the house. It was overly protective. It was a, it was a crazy dog. And especially when we, uh, there were times where we'd come home, and we'd open the door, and the signs that someone had not put Leisha in her room were everywhere. You'd walk in the house. It was like, uh-oh, who, who didn't put Leisha in her room? Because you'd see garbage all over the house. You'd see dirty socks and underwear all over the place. Uh, Leisha would have inevitably chewed up something really important. And she made, she made good use of what she chewed up. It wouldn't be something like some old toy she would chew up like the remote control. It's like, Leisha, they gave us one remote for the TV. Now I'm stuck walking up to change the channel. But you wouldn't see her. You see all the signs of her work everywhere, but Leisha would be hiding in the corner. Sometimes we see the signs of a person's presence, even though we might not necessarily see them. Uh, you could have this coming into our house. If you come into our home and you find yourself in a room that's clean, you can assume that Megan was there, my wife. Megan was there. The signs of her presence are experienced through the cleanliness of a room. And if you go into a room and it's dirty, well, that's our kids. You know, that's, that's, uh, they were there making a mess of things. You see the signs of someone's presence, even though you might not see them. What are the signs of God's presence? What are the signs of the power and presence of God at work in a person's life, and in our world. That's what we've been looking at in the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about what happens when God's spiritual presence, his power, begins to work its way in a person's life. And what would we assume would be the, the signs of God's presence in someone's life? Maybe we might think, oh, you know what? If God, I mean, the creator of the world, if God were present, wow, then this person, man, they might have some, some really supernatural qualities about them. We might, we might think someone might be super wealthy or super influential or super famous and known, but what does Paul record 
as the signs of God's power and presence in someone's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the signs that God's powerful presence is at work in someone's life. And so this morning, we're going to continue that conversation looking specifically at gentleness. And so I want to read our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And here the Apostle Paul is writing to a local church, a church that had questions. They had been experiencing persecution. They uh, had, had some friends who had passed away. And so Paul's going to write to them. And in it, we see his care and concern for their well-being. And he's going to talk about gentleness. And gentleness throughout the Bible is often equated with how we communicate with someone, how we talk to another person, how we talk about God. So look at what Paul says. I'll read our passage in 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so I shared with you some things that we talked about at our Thanksgiving, day, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, talking about our dogs. Uh, what did you talk about? What was part of your conversation this Thanksgiving weekend with friends and family? Well, this might be a little late, but I uh, came across an article that listed 13 topics to never discuss at Thanksgiving dinner. 13 topics, not just to avoid, but to never, never talk about these. This is important. Sorry, you, you can chalk this away for next year. I'll, I'll just do the top five, 13 to take a while. Top five, these are the top five of their list. Number five, don't talk about, never talk about how bad the food is. <laughs> That's probably not, good, not just for Thanksgiving, but anytime you're enjoying a meal with someone, probably refrain from not insulting the food. Uh, don't talk about how bad the food is. Uh, number four, never talk about, at Thanksgiving dinner, family scandals. Avoid that. All right? If you're sitting across from Uncle Joe, probably might not want to bring up some uh, scandals involving Uncle, Uncle Joe, so avoid that. Uh, number three, politics. You don't want to talk about politics. You don't want people angry at each other. I don't know if you experienced any of that over Thanksgiving. There was some, some of that happened in our home, and you know, it keeps things interesting. But you generally want to avoid that, avoid talking about politics. Uh, number two, I thought this one was good. Uh, never talk about at Thanksgiving how much someone else is eating. 
No one wants that. It's Thanksgiving. You eat as much as you want. Every meal can't be a feast, but we all need at least once a year. So uh, eat as much as you want. Don't, don't talk about other people and how much they're eating. And number one, the number one topic to never talk about at Thanksgiving, what do you think it is? Religion. Yep, religion. And it was interesting how they talked about it, or how they mentioned religion, why they said this. And here's what they said. Thanksgiving is not a religious holiday. I'm sorry, here we go. Thanksgiving is not a religious holiday. So why start in on an argument no one can win when you're supposed to be giving thanks? I love that. Thanksgiving is not a religious holiday. Why argue about things that no one's going to win? You should be thankful. And there's a, this reveals a lot, right? I mean, one, that religious conversation is just assumed to be argumentative. Uh, we also see here that religious conversation, talking about God, should just be something that happens on religious holidays. It's like, you know what? It's Thanksgiving, good grief. If I want to hear about God, I'd go to church. If I want to talk about God, I'll wait until Easter and Christmas. But man, we're trying to enjoy a good meal here. Don't ruin it with your God talk. And so I think a question for us this morning as we think about gentleness and Paul regularly pointing to gentleness, reflecting how we talk about God. And our question is this, is how do we speak about God in ways that honor him? How do we talk about God in ways that lead people to him, not push people away from him? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, how to talk about God. Uh, first, the ways we talk about God that point people away, and then how we can talk about God that bring people in. Uh, first, how our speech can turn people away from God. And the first way we can turn people away from God it seems kind of obvious, but we can miss it, and that is to not talk about God. You won't accurately reflect God in your communication if you never speak about him. Uh, Paul, in verse 1, he says this. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Why Paul and Silas and Timothy, these guys were traveling all around the region with the express purpose of talking about God. And Paul goes, he travels to them, and he, he says, he says, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. There was purpose. There was meaning to our relationship. There was purpose in our coming to you and talking about God. Paul and his friends, they traveled to unfamiliar places and spoke with unfamiliar faces to talk about God. Sometimes I struggle to talk about God with people that I know, with play, in places where I'm familiar. Sometimes we struggle to know how and when and why to talk about God, and so we avoid it. I think there's a few reasons we avoid talking about God. Uh, some of us, we don't talk about God because we care more about vain things. We care more about things that don't quite have the meaning that God has in life. We want to keep conversation just light and easy all the time. And so if someone's sharing in a personal conversation or at the dinner table a doubt 
or a struggle or a fear or a question about God, we want to quickly move away from that topic. We want to keep it light and easy. Don't, don't ruin the dinner with your God talk and your questions about life. We're more comfortable talking about the weather. We're more comfortable talking about the Buckeyes, especially after they win. We're more comfortable talking about fashion or our favorite restaurants. We struggle sometimes to talk about important things. Some of us just care more about vain things, and so we don't really want to talk about God. Others of us, though, we don't talk about God because we're afraid of what others will think of us. We don't want to be viewed as crazy like Paul. You know, Paul went to places trying to convert people. We have a term for that, proselytizing. That's, oh, it's so crazy, so wrong. <laughs> Paul says we had boldness. We had boldness. Oh, you know, we think that gentleness means refraining from talking about God. We think gentleness means not offending people. So we'd rather not go there. So we, have, we are afraid. We're afraid what people will think. We, want to be, we don't want to be lumped in as those Christians. Crazy talking about God. Uh, others of us, how we turn, how our speech can turn people away from God. It can be to not talk about God, but also... Uh, some of us talk about God in ways that we're, we are spiritual salesmen. And this can turn people away from God. Being a spiritual salesperson, a spiritual politician, if you will. Paul says this in verse 4. He says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came, look at this, we never came with words of flattery, I like that, as you know, it's like Paul saying, we never related to you just saying nice, pleasant things, as you know. It's as if the people, as they're reading this letter, would say, yeah, we, we know. Paul, sometimes he came and he challenged us. So we never came with words of flattery. What's the difference between encouragement and flattery? Encouragement is saying something kind to another person because you love them and you want to serve them. Flattery is saying something kind to another person because you want to use them. Because you want to leverage that relationship for how does Paul put it? Uh, for, our, for greed. For one's own advancement. Uh, we, as I mentioned, recently got back from India. And there was a time in India before where I found myself... Um, riding in a cab, and this happened on two separate occasions, riding in a cab, and the cab driver, they were so nice, and twice they complimented my beard. I thought, wow, I like India. These people are my friends. I don't, you know, I don't uh, ride in someone's car and they compliment my beard back in the States, so maybe, you know, India, they're, they're really nice. And on one occasion, the driver um, made a comment thinking that I worshipped Allah and started talking positively of Allah. And I was like, oh, you know, actually Christian. He's like, oh, you know, started. And then he started talking about Jesus and how much he liked Jesus. And I'm thinking, wow, these people are great. Compliment my beard. I think they like Jesus. 
And afterwards, that same, uh, the next day, that same cab driver, when I saw him, he was at our hotel picking someone else up. I went to, to have a conversation with him, and he totally blew me off and didn't care. And I realized there was a reason he was complimenting my beard, a reason he was agreeing with me about my religious conviction, and that was that he wanted a good tip. Now, I mean, we would never do that. Right? I mean, I would, I would never praise someone just to get a personal benefit. Yeah. It's so tempting, is it not? You know, some of us, we come at people harshly. Others of us, we find ways to appear gentle, and yet the goal is to use it for our own gain. And this is basically, it's having a hidden agenda with people. And gentleness is honest. It doesn't have a hidden agenda. It doesn't use praise to manipulate another person. How not to talk about God. Do not be a spiritual uh, salesperson. Do not just praise people with God words for your own gain. And there's a number of ways this can play out. One, if I could press just a little bit just a little bit. You know, some of us throw around terms like God told me. God told me something in order to get what we want. And we hide behind God. We hide behind spiritual talk to use people. As a young adult pastor, I saw this a lot. Uh, You want to break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend? God told me. Like, well, now you're going to have someone angry at you and angry at God. We need to be careful about God talk in order to just get what we want. Another way to not talk about God is being arrogant and demanding and, and angry. Look at Paul. He says this in verse 6. He says, he had just mentioned, we, had, we were not flattering you or seeking selfish gain, nor did we, in verse 6, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Uh, one pastor, Eugene Peterson, translated this, translates it this way. He says, we never threw our weight around or tried to come across as important. I like this. There's a way sometimes, and pastors are notoriously bad at this, there's a way in which we can talk about God that promotes ourself and in which we can come across as authoritarian and can put people in their place. Ways in which we can converse about God, talk about God that remind people that they are below us. And some expressions of this is like the condescending seminary student. <laughs> Have you ever known someone who went to seminary And all of a sudden, conversations about God with them was very difficult. Can be. Uh, They can drop big words, big terms, in order to remind you that you're not quite on their level. As if when we talk about God, we need to use language that people don't understand. There's a way of relating that puts people in their place. Another way, Paul says, we didn't make demands. We weren't demanding. We didn't talk. We didn't use God 
to put you in your place. And we didn't use God to boss you around. You know, a demanding demeanor is often laced with the element of anger. Paul's saying we weren't demanding, we weren't angry. And often, isn't our God talk laced with anger and demands? And I can't help but think that the lady who wrote that article about not talking about God and religion at Thanksgiving had this in mind. We don't want anger and demands. No one wins that kind of argument. Often the way in which we talk about God is laced with anger, laced with demand. And what do all these have in common? The ways we push people away from God. What do they all have in common? Not talking about God, uh, being spiritual salesmen, being angry and demanding. What does that have in common? It has in common that it is about us. We're not communicating in a way that wants to love somebody or honor God. We're putting ourselves at the center. And we're making the communication and the God talk about us. But Paul has another way. He says, we weren't this way. There was meaning to our conversations. We weren't just flattering you. We weren't demanding to you. But look at what he says in verse 7. But, there's a contrast. But we were gentle. We were gentle among you. Gentleness authenticates God's love. Gentleness authenticates the message of the gospel. Gentleness reveals that what someone is saying about God can be true. As we began, we talked about what are the signs of God's power and presence? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, When you see gentleness at work, it authenticates the power of the message. One thing that we say in our day and age today, in order to justify sometimes our harsh way of relating and doing things or business practices, we can say, you know, the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. In other words, what we ultimately want to happen We're willing to use shady tactics to get it so we can say the end, what happened, justifies how we did it. But gentleness reminds us that it's the opposite. The means justify the end. How we talk about God, how we relate to others, authenticates the message that we wish to share. Gentleness authenticates the gospel. And here's how it does it. How does gentleness, gentle speech, how does it authenticate? How does it move people to God rather than away from him? A few ways as we wrap up our time. First, gentleness, it prioritizes the gospel. Gentleness, it's very clear. It knows what we're trying to do, why we're why we're wanting to talk to someone about God, what we hope to accomplish in the conversation. Paul, he's very clear about it. In verse three, he says, for our appeal does not spring from error and purity or any attempt to deceive. He's saying, look, we're not here to deceive you. 
We're, we're not, we don't have a hidden agenda. Look, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. That's why we've traveled. That's why we've experienced persecution. Our whole point, what, what we're about, our message is the gospel. The good news that through the work and record of Jesus Christ, God is reconciling all of creation. And we have the glorious privilege to experience that redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul regularly, regularly wants to make this front and center. In fact, on one occasion, he's writing a letter to Timothy, this this young pastor who was traveling with him. And, And Paul, at the very beginning of the letter, he says to Timothy, listen, be careful. Don't don't give yourself over to false teachers. And what were they doing? They were talking about genealogies and myths and speculations. Paul's like, be careful. There's going to be some people who are going to distract from the gospel. They're going to talk about things that are not at the core of what God is about. Be careful. Be clear about what we're here, what our message ultimately is. Well, a few weeks ago, an American pastor, a very influential pastor who shaped many people's lives and and mine included, uh, Eugene Peterson passed away. And Peterson wrote over 30 books. Uh, I love this. Uh, The Message Bible, if you're familiar with it, sometimes in some of our circles, we can look down on the Message Bible and say it's not a translate, you know, it's one person's account, it's not a translation. But what Eugene did, he wrote that, he translated the entire Bible for his local church. He wanted to put God's words in the vernacular and experience of his people. What a, it's a one amazing feat in and of itself, but what an act of love. He wanted, he wanted to converse with people about God. He translated the Bible for them, translated the Bible for his whole congregation. And at his, at his funeral, his son said something about him, his son Leif. He shared that he used to joke with his father that his dad only had one sermon. There was only one message in his father's life. Despite all the decades of creativity and sharing the Bible with people in new ways, there was something that he believed was at the center, the one message of his dad. And here's what he said at the funeral. He said, it's almost laughable How my dad fooled so many people. How for 30 years, every week, he made them think he was saying something new. And then he uh, dressed his dad. He said, they thought you were a magician, a long black robe, hiding so much in your ample sleeves, always pulling something fresh and making them think it was just for them. And he continued, they didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret. And then Leif said he knew his father's secret. He said, for 50 years, you would steal into my room at night and whispered softly to my sleeping head the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. 
He's coming after you. And he's relentless. The one message. God loves you. He's with you. He's coming for you. And he will not be stopped. This, friends, is the gospel. The good news of a God who loves us, not because we have earned it, but out of his sheer grace. Oh, that we would be a church. That we would be a church. That people would say, you know, Scarlet City, they did some good things, but they had one message. One message. Gentleness prioritizes the gospel. And also gentleness personalizes the gospel. It communicates it in terms that people can understand and apply to life. Paul puts it this way, uses a metaphor. He says, we were gentle among you. I love this. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What is a nursing mother doing? She's nourishing. She's providing life for her kids. And Paul's saying, that's what I'm doing. That's my work. My work is to nourish you in the truth. And he says, as a nursing mother, as she nurses her own kids, her own kids. This is so personal. So personal. Paul, he's writing this. What we have here is a letter Paul doesn't just write abstractly about God out here. Paul personalizes the gospel. He he personalizes God's truth so that people can receive it and live it. And as we mentioned, this church in Thessalonica, this major city in the Roman Empire, these people, they had questions. They had questions. They were writing to Paul, can you explain to us? Why we're experiencing some persecution. They had some friends who had passed away. Paul, can you explain to us what God has to say about our, about our future? And Paul's going to write a letter, a personal letter. He doesn't say, come on, church, quit asking your silly questions. Just trust in God. Gentleness doesn't relate to people that way. Gentleness personalizes. It, it's a conversation And so I think we need to hear that. Do we have conversations with people about God? And what is a conversation? What does that look like? Conversation requires listening. Listening. Do we listen to people? Do we ask questions? Do we care to get to know them and their story? Personalizing the gospel requires that we know someone's name, that we know where they're from, that we listen. What are your hopes? What are your fears? What are your dreams? And then it means discerning. How does God want to, how does his gospel apply right here? Paul personalizes the gospel. And lastly, gentleness personifies the gospel. It prioritizes, it personalizes, and it personifies. It is an expression of the gospel itself. Paul, he closes it out. I love it. He begins, he refers to them as his siblings. He says, my brothers, You say, brothers and sisters, and look at how he closes. So being affectionately desirous of you. 
we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. What's Paul, why, why is he doing this? Because he loves them. Loves them. He says, I'm not just talking about God out here. I'm sharing all that I am. And that's what gentleness does. Gentleness is not speech devoid of place and context. It's expressed in our tone. It's expressed in our actions. It's when tone and tact match the message. And what is the message? As Eugene reminded us, God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he's relentless. Do people experience that truth through our conversation? Let's pray. God, thank you for being a gentle God. We acknowledge that sometimes our speech does not reflect that gentleness. It's tempting to be angry, tempting to be rude in your name. It's tempting to use your words for our ends. It's tempting to just avoid talking about you altogether. Thank you, God, for giving us the gospel. The beautiful message that you have entered into the world entered into your creation so that we might know and experience your transforming love. God, help us. Give us the boldness like Paul to talk about that with people. We live in a world that is dying for that good news. May we not just talk about it at Christmas and Easter. May it permeate our conversation throughout the week and days ahead. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.